Part One, Chapter Three of Faces in the Fire and Other Fancies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. Faces in the Fire and Other Fancies by Frank W. Borum. Part One, Chapter Three the conquest of the crags i was strolling one still evening along a lonely new zealand shore when i made a grim discovery that has often set me thinking i had been walking along the wet and crinkled sands the tide being out and had amused myself with the shells and the seaweed that had been left lying about by the receding waters there is always a peculiar charm about such a stroll it holds such infinite possibilities one seems to be exploiting the surprise packet of the universe. Jane Barlow, in her Bogdan studies, made one of her characters say, What use is one's life without chances? Ye've always a chance with the tide, for ye never can tell what twill take in its head to strew round on the shore. Maybe driftwood or grand bits of boards that come handy for splicing an oar, or a crab skating back over the shine or the wet sure whatever ye found it's a sort of diversion them whiles when ye're starvin' and ye've streelin' around absorbed in so delightful an occupation the passage of time escaped my attention until suddenly i noticed that twilight was rapidly falling and i thought of my return before retracing my steps however i sat down for a moment's rest among the sand dunes the possibility of making a discovery among those arid mounds did not occur to me but as i sat absent-mindedly poking the soft sand with my stick i suddenly struck something hard i proceeded to dig it out and found a couple of human skulls they adorn the top shelf of my bookcase before me at this moment they always look down upon me as i write i often catch myself leaning back in my chair staring up at them and trying to read their secret who were they i wonder these two bony companions of mine two maoris finishing among the lonely dunes their last fierce fatal feud two travellers hopelessly lost who threw themselves down here to die a couple of sailors whose ship had struck the cruel reefs out yonder and whose bodies were tossed up here by the pitiless waves a pair of lovers trapped by the treacherous tide i cannot tell what a tantalizing mystery they seem to hold as they grin down at me from this high shelf of mine. It is part of the ghostly sense of mystery that always haunts the sea and its tragedies. On the land, when disaster occurs, all the wreckage is left to tell its own tale, but on the ocean, fate instantly obliterates all her tracks. The magnificent vessel lurches over, plunges with a roar into the deep, and the waves close over the frightful ruin. Compared with the silence of the sea, the Sphinx is voluble. The deep, dark, icy ocean bed guards its secrets and guards them well. Sometimes, however, it is more easy to read the riddle, here in Tasmania, within easy reach of this quiet study of mine. There is a battlefield that I love to visit. It extends for miles and miles, and the whole place is strewn with the wreckage that tells of the titanic conflict. I do not mean that the place is littered with dead men's bones. It was a far finer and far fiercer fight than men could have waged, and it lasted longer than any war recorded in the annals of history. 
it is the battlefield on which the land fought the sea it is a rocky and precipitous coast sometimes i like to walk along the top of the cliff and look down upon the pile of massive boulders that lie tumbled in picturesque and bewildering confusion about the beach below or at low tide i like to make my way among those monstrous piles of broken rock that lie higgledly piggledly all along the shore what a fight it was day and night summer and winter year in and year out age after age occasionally the attacks slackened down and the rippling waters merely lapped softly against the rocks but there was no real truce the sea was only gathering up its forces in secret for the majestic assault that was to come then the great breakers came rushing in like regiments of cavalry in full career and each huge wave hurled itself upon the crags with such fury that the spray dashed up sky high it was a titanic struggle and the waters won that is the extraordinary thing the waters won the water seemed so soft so yielding so fluid and the rocks seemed so impregnable so adamantine so immutable yet the waters always win the land makes no impression on the sea but the sea grinds the land to powder i know that the sea is often spoken of as the natural emblem of all that is fickle and changeful but it is a pure illusion there are of course superficial variations of tone and tint and temper but as compared with the kaleidoscopic changes that overtake the land the ocean is eternally and everywhere the same it and not the rocks is the symbol of immutability look at the sea exclaims max pemberton in redmorn how i love it i like to think that those great rolling waves will go leaping by a thousand years from now there's never any change about the sea you never come back to it and say how it's changed or who's been building here or where's the old place i loved no it is always the same i suppose if one stood here for a million years the sea would not be different you're quite sure of it and it never disappoints you the land on the contrary is forever changing man is always working his transformations and nature is toiling to the same end when the romans come to england says frank buckland the naturalist julius caesar probably looked upon an outline of cliff very different from that which holds our gaze to-day first there comes a sun crack along the edge of the cliff the rain-water gets into the crack then comes the frost the rain-water in freezing expands and by degrees wedges off a great slice of chalk cliff down this tumbles into the water and neptune sets his great waves to work to tidy up the mess no man can know the various rudiments of geology without recognizing that it is the land and not the sea that is constantly changing we may visit some historic battlefield to-day and finding it a network of bustling streets and crowded alleys may hopelessly fail to repeople the scene with the battalions that wheeled and charged wavered and rallied there in the brave days of old but when from the deck of a steamer i surveyed the blue and tossing waters off cape trevelcar i knew that i was gazing upon this scene just as it presented itself to the eye of nelson on the day of his immortal victory and glorious death more than a century ago now beneath this triumph of the ocean the triumph that leaves the land in fragments whilst the sea itself sustains no injury there lies a deeper significance than at first appears job saw it no elusive secret lurking in the universe around him escaped his restless eye the waters wear the stones he cried and it was a shout of victory that rose from his heart when he said it the waters wear the stones he exclaimed 
and thou washest away the things which grow out of the dust of the earth it is the death knell of the material it is the triumph of the eternal a little child looks upon the great granite cliffs and it seems impossible that the lapping waves can ever pound them to pieces but they do and in the same way job says man seems so impregnable and the world so mighty that it appears a thing incredible that god can finally prevail but he shall the quiet waters conquer the frowning cliffs at length the walls of jericho fall down this is the victory that overcometh the world and so here on this battlefield where the land and the sea fought for mastery i find job sitting and he interprets for me the paean that the waves are singing it is the laughter of their triumph the waters wear away the stones that was the heartening message that gave to spain one of her very greatest teachers saint isidore of seville was only a boy at the time he found his lessons hard to learn study was a drudgery and he was tempted to give up the huge obstacles against which he like the waves at the base of the cliff was beating out his life seemed adventine so he ran away from school but in the heat of the day he sat down to rest beside a little spring that trickled over a rock he noticed that the water fell in drops and only one drop at a time yet those drops had worn away a large stone it reminded him of the tasks he had forsaken and he returned to his desk diligent application overcame his dullness and made him one of the first scholars of his time he never forgot the drops of water dripping 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 on the rock that they were conquering those drops of water says his biographer gave to spain a brilliant historian and to the church a famous doctor it is always the gentle things of life that conquer us the moving waters to quote keats beautiful phrase the moving waters at their priest-like task of pure abulation round earth's human shores wear down the towering cliffs along the coast it is aesop's fable of the north wind and the sun over again the north wind with its violence and bluster only makes the traveller button his coat tighter it is the genial warmth of the sun that makes him take it off it is always by gentleness that the adventine world is mastered that is one of life's most lovely secrets we are not ruled as much as we think by parliaments and commandments and enactments the proportion of our lives that is governed by such things is very small but the proportion that is dominated by gentler and more winsome forces is very great the voices that sway us with a regal authority are soft and tender voices the voices of those whose genial goodness compels us to love them the imperial tones to which we capitulate unconditionally are very rarely stern official tones who does not remember in the rosary the honorary jane champion asks garth dalmain why he does not marry and garth tells her of old marjorie his childhood's friend and nurse now his housekeeper and general mender and tender old marjorie with her black satin apron lawn kerchief and lavender ribbons no doubt miss champion it will seem absurd to you that i should sit here on the duchess's lawn and confess that i have been held back from proposing marriage to the women i most admired because of what would have been my old nurse's opinion of them yet so it invariably is our servants are often our masters life's loftiest authorities never derive their sanctions from rank office or station the soul has enthronements and coronations of its own a little child often leads it a carpenter becomes its king 
out of nazareth comes the conqueror of the world the pure and cleansing waters wear down the giant crags at last but with purity and gentleness must go patience the lapping waters do not reduce the rocky strata at a blow it is always by means of patience that the finest conquests are won who that has read jack london's call of the wild will ever forget the great fight at the end of the book between buck the dog hero and the huge bull moose three hundred weight more than half a ton he weighed the old bull he had lived a long strong life full of fight and struggle and at the end he faced death at the teeth of a creature whose head did not reach beyond his great knuckled knees how was it done there is a patience in the wild jack london says a patience dogged tireless persistent as life itself and it was by means of this patience that buck brought down his stately antlered prey night and day buck never left him never gave him a moment's rest never permitted him to browse on the leaves of the trees or the shoots of the young birch or willow nor did he give the old bull one single opportunity to slake his burning thirst in the slender trickling streams they crossed for four days buck hung piteously at the huge beast's heels and at the end of the fourth day he pulled the bull moose down buck looked so little but he wore the monarch out the waters seemed so feeble but they beat the rocks to powder if it is thus that the foolish things of this world always confound the wise the weak things conquer the mighty and the things that are not bring to naught the things that are end of part one chapter three